Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. If you're the people of Nation Talker, not necessarily the views of Talkship, Generated Productions, and its sponsors, this is Nation Talk. son. You've been in your room all morning. Hey, Dad. Um, Matt, what's wrong with your voice? There is nothing wrong with my voice. Oh, well, it's just sort of... I have been playing my video games and electronic games for so many hours. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like it might be time for you to take a break, or... Hello, Dad. Um, Susan? I have been watching TV and text messaging all morning. Yay, electronics. Yay, yay, yay. Guys, I think it's about time to get in the car and... Take a little trip. Maybe see some trees, some green things. What are 
This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. They call, send letters, email, and visit your home. They're not friends or family. They're con artists, scammers, and criminals. In times like these, it's important to learn how to protect yourself. Credit card schemes, bogus investment opportunities, and free vacation scams are just a few ways that today's criminals target you and your family. Protect yourself. Never give anyone your social security number, credit card, or bank account information unless you initiated the call. Stay informed of current scams by contacting your Attorney General's office and Better Business Bureau. If you're a victim, reporting the con to the local authorities will prevent others from suffering the same fate. To learn more about how to keep your family safe from con artists and scams, visit ncpc.org. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Vince Gill for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. Real life's not a song. In less than it takes to play my latest hit, someone will be killed or injured in an alcohol-related crash. So next time you're out with someone who's been drinking, don't let them take the wheel. Take the keys instead. Sad stories make great songs, but happy endings make better lives. That's why friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Peers and peers of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views. A talk show, Jim Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
and what he's going to cut, what he's proposing to cut, and who's going to benefit more than others. And we're going to go back and talk about it. I think it's uh, really <laughs> ridiculous. This proposal is ridiculous. It's thoughtless. And it's a way of the of Rich folks getting over the middle class and poor. That's all it is. That's all it is. Now, that's, this is a way for him to assure that every rich person have more money than everybody. And this one, he outlines his tax plan after he, because as you know, the health care issue has died on the table. It went belly up. It flatlined. Now he moves on to tax reform. You know it's going to be a big battle. Already, I don't agree with the tax cuts that he's doing. I don't, I really don't agree with him. Plus, tonight we're also going to talk about Trump versus the, uh, the NFL. The NFL and and probably every athlete that decided to take a knee. Instead of take a, take the knee instead of um instead of um This is in, like I said, this is in Indianapolis, Indiana. He announced his tax reform. He outlined his tax reform, reform and what he's going to do tax-wise for this country, or what he's not, or what he is planning to mess up in this country. Thank God for that freedom of speech. We can say anything we want. We have the freedom 
Listen to the speech very carefully. You just want massive tax cuts. That's what you want. That's the only reason you're going so wild. But it's wonderful to be back in the great state of Indiana. What a place. I want to thank Senator Todd Young, Senator Joe Donnelly, Representative Jackie Walarski, Representative Susan Brooks, and Representative... Mike Messer for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. Appreciate it. I also want to thank members of my economic team, Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and Director Gary Cohn for joining us as well. We appreciate it. Let me begin by saying that our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, who are suffering in the wake of yet another catastrophic hurricane. Their island was virtually destroyed. Federal agencies are working closely with local partners to help these communities get back on their feet as soon as possible. Texas, Florida, Louisiana are doing great, and the recovery process is happening very, very quickly. I will be going down to Puerto Rico next week to get an on-the-ground briefing about the disaster recovery and to see all of our great first responders and to meet a lot of the people who are so affected by these storms. We are with you now, I tell them, and we will be there every step of the way until this job is done. It is truly catastrophic what happened in Puerto Rico. And massive amounts of water, food, and supplies, by the way, are being delivered on an hourly basis. It's, uh, it's something that nobody's ever seen before from this country, I can tell you that. And uh, I'm very proud of all of the folks that have worked so hard in FEMA, all of our first responders, all of our police that have gone to the island because their police force has been so badly affected. And many of their policemen, in fact, most of the police people, have lost their homes, and it's been a tough go, but we are we're going to get it back. Before we go on to discuss the largest tax cut in our country's history, I also want to provide a brief update on health care. We have the votes on Graham Cassidy, but with the rules of reconciliation, we're up against a deadline of Friday, two, two days. That's just two days. And yes, vote, Senator, we have a wonderful Senator, great, great Senator, who is a yes vote, but he's home recovering from a pretty tough situation. And with so many great features, including all of the block granting, the money to the states, et cetera, et cetera, our health care plan is really going to be something excellent. It's going to be better managed for the people that it serves. 
having local health care representatives is far better than having health care managed from Washington, D.C. Not even a contract. And many, many governors, as you also see, have agreed with us and approved it and really look forward to running it properly. But again, because the reconciliation window is about to close, we have to wait a few months until it reopens before we take a vote. So we're getting all of the good signs from Alaska and the others to repeal and replace Obamacare. And I was hoping this would be put on my desk right after we won the election and I'd come in and sign, but it didn't work that way. There are a couple of people that I won't say anything. But early next year, when reconciliation kicks back in, in any event, long before the November election, we're going to have a vote, and we're going to be able to get that through. And I think we'll actually get it through very easily, and the time makes it easier. But speaking of reconciliation, the Republican Senate needs to get rid of the filibuster rule, which is blocking so many great legislative reforms the American people badly want and deserve. By the way, the Democrats, they had the opportunity, which hopefully they won't for many, many years, they would get rid of it on day one. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're here today in Indiana to announce our framework to deliver historic tax relief to the American people. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and I guess it's probably something I could say that I'm very good at. I've been waiting for this for a long time. We're going to cut taxes for the middle class, make the tax code simpler and more fair for everyday Americans, and we are going to bring back the jobs and wealth that have left our country, and most people thought left our country We want tax reform that is pro-growth, pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-family, and yes, tax reform that is pro-American. It's time to take care of our people, to rebuild our nation, and to fight for our great American workers. Indiana is a tremendous example of the prosperity that is unleashed when we cut taxes and set free the dreams of our citizens. This state has claimed a power competitive edge built on low taxes and less regulation. And are we cutting regulation? And businesses all across the country have taken notice. In recent years, Indiana has welcomed dozens of companies fleeing high taxes and high tax states. 
thousands of new jobs and massive capital investment have followed, meaning a better quality of life for the people of Indiana. All of this is possible because the people of this state have made a decision. They chose to make Indiana competitive again. They chose, and their choice was so important. It included electing a governor who you may have heard of, who signed the largest income tax cut in the state's very, very terrific person and terrific Vice President, Mike Pence. It's time for Washington to learn from the wisdom of Indiana. We need Washington to promote American jobs instead of obstructing them. That is what I've been working to achieve every day since I took office. That is what I talk about on the campaign trail. Already we're seeing the results of an economic policy that finally puts America first. <laughs> Unemployment is at a 16-year low. Unemployment for African Americans is near its lowest point since the turn of the millennium. Really a fantastic thing to see. Wages are rising, optimism among manufacturers has reached all-time highs. GDP growth last quarter reached 3%, way ahead of schedule. Nobody thought that was going to happen for a long time. And this quarter, I believe, would have been better, but the hurricanes will have an impact. But other than that, it would have been, in my opinion, even better. Your government is working for you once again, not for the donors, not the special interests, but the hardworking, tax-paying citizens of our country. America is back on the right track, and I see so many red hats. Make America great again. That's what we're doing. Make America great again. But our country and our economy cannot take off like they should unless we dramatically reform America.
America's outdated, complex, and extremely burdensome tax code. It's a relic. We've got to change it. We have to compete, compete with other countries. The current tax system is a colossal barrier standing in the way of America's economic comeback because it can be far greater than it's ever been. But we're going to remove that barrier to create the tax system that our people finally, finally, finally and want and deserve. For several months, my administration has been working closely with Congress to develop a framework for tax reform. Over the next few months, the House and Senate will build on this framework and produce legislation that will deliver more jobs, higher pay, and lower taxes for middle-class families, for the working man and woman, and for businesses of all sizes. I look forward, thank you. I look forward to working with Congress to deliver these historic tax cuts and reforms to the American people. These tax cuts are significant. There's never been tax cuts like what we're talking about. Our framework is based on four key ideas. First, we will cut taxes for the everyday, hardworking Americans, the people that work so long, so hard, and they've been forgotten. But they're not forgotten anymore. I think we proved that on November 8th. <laughs> Under this framework, the first $12,000 of income earned by a single individual will be tax-free. And a married couple won't pay a dime in taxes on their first $24,000 of income. So a married couple up to $24,000 can spend their money on their family, on their children, on what they have to do. So much better. In other words, more income for more people will be taxed at a rate of zero. At this 0% rate, taxable income will be subject to just three tax rates of 12%, 25%, and 35%. Jonathan Blanton and his wife, Jamie, from Greentown, are here with us today. Where are they? Oh, hello, Jonathan. How are you? Jonathan does industrial janitorial work, and Jamie works at an auto company. Together, they're raising four beautiful children, and last year they earned less than $90,000. Under our tax plan, they would have saved more than $1,000. It could be substantially more, and that's just on federal taxes. So they would have saved at least $1,000. Middle-income families will save even more money with an increased child tax credit for children under the age of 17, which so many families have been calling. We will eliminate the marriage penalty in the existing credit and expand eligibility to include even more middle-income families, greatly expanded. 
We're also expanding the child tax credit because we believe the most important investment our country can make is in our children. And this is just one more critical way that we're targeting relief to working families. In addition, under our framework, those caring for the elderly loved, and we love these people, but we're caring and we take such care of the elderly and other adult dependents will receive financial relief in the form of a $500 tax credit. We're doing everything we can to reduce the tax burden on you and your family. By eliminating tax breaks and loopholes, we will ensure that the benefits are focused on the middle class, the working men and women, not the highest income earners. Our framework includes our explicit commitment that tax reform will protect low-income and middle-income households, not the wealthy and well-connected. They can call me all they want. It's not going to help. I'm doing the right thing, and it's not good for me, believe me. But what is good for me, not only as president and legacy, what is good for me is if everything takes off like a rocket ship, like it should have for 20 years. That's good for me. That's good for everyone. And that's what I think is going to happen. And a lot of very wealthy people feel the same way, believe me. In fact, we are eliminating most itemized deductions that primarily benefit the wealthiest taxpayers. We have also given Congress the flexibility to add an additional top rate on the very highest income earners to provide even more tax relief for working people. Second, our framework will make the tax code simple, fair, and easy to understand, finally. Americans waste money. <laughs> Americans waste so much money. Billions and billions of dollars and many hours each year to comply with our ridiculously complex tax code. More than 90% of Americans use assistance to prepare their taxes. Under our framework, the vast majority of families will be able to file their taxes on a single sheet of paper. We are also repealing the Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT. About time. The AMT is actually a shadow tax system that requires many people to calculate their taxes two different ways and pay the higher of the two amounts. You're all familiar with it. Under our framework, the AMT will make even less sense because we are repealing many of the special interest tax breaks that it was designed to deal with. We are making our taxes simple again. 
we are simplifying our tech system. To protect small businesses and the American farmer, we are finally ending the crushing, the unfair estate tax, or as it is often referred to, the death tax. especially for all of you with small businesses that are really tremendous businesses. You'll be able to leave them to your family, and your family won't have to run out and do a fire sale to try and get the money to pay the tax, lose the business, ends up going out of business. All of those jobs are lost. The farmers in particular are affected. They have wonderful farms, but they can't pay the tax, so they have to sell the farm. The people that buy it don't run it with love. They can't run it the same way, and it goes out. So that death tax is a disaster for this country, and it's a disaster for so many small businesses and farmers, and we're getting rid of it. Now, if you don't like your family, it won't matter. Okay. But for those that love your family, it matters a lot. With us today is Tom, a family farmer from Leesburg. Where's Kip? Good, Kip. Hi, Kip. Who fears that his family's farming heritage has been a long time. How long, Kip? 187 years. That's peanuts, Kip. Wow, that's a long time. But that great heritage could come to an end because of the death tax or the estate tax and could make it impossible for him to pass that legacy to his wonderful family. We're not going to let that happen. We are not going to allow the death tax to steal away the American dream from these great, great families, many of which are in this room today. We will protect our farmers, our ranches, and our small businesses, and we will make taxes simple, easy, and fair for all Americans. Okay? Third, we will cut taxes on American businesses to restore our competitive edge and create more jobs and higher wages for American workers more competitive with other nations. And in many cases, those other nations are taking advantage of us in so many ways. They say they're friends, and perhaps they are. But believe me, I am renegotiating our trade deals, including NAFTA, including many other trade deals. And through regulation, all you have to do is look at the massive pipelines. Dakota Access, you take a look, 48,000 jobs immediately approved. So we're letting that happen. But in terms of the tax and the tax strategy that Ronald Reagan used to create an economic boom in the 1980s, when our economy took off 
the middle class thrived, and the family income of all families was increasing more and more, and it was a beautiful sight to behold. Since then, other nations have adopted, unfortunately, our playbook and ran it even better than we did. And I shouldn't say even better because we didn't run it well at all, and we let other nations come in and take advantage of us and take our jobs away and take our businesses out, and we're stopping that, and you see it right here what we've done. Today, our total business tax rate is 60% higher than our average foreign competitor in the developed world. That's not good. We have surrendered our competitive edge to other countries, but we're not surrendering anymore. We're not surrendering anymore. Under our framework, we will dramatically cut the business tax rate so that American companies and American workers can beat our foreign competitors and start winning again. The everyday American workers, as jobs start pouring into our country, as companies start competing for American labor, and as wages start going up at levels that you haven't seen in many years. When our companies move to other countries, it's our loyal American workers who get hurt. And when companies stay in America and America, it's our wonderful workers who reap the rewards. And I just left the United Nations last week, and I was told by one of the most powerful leaders of the world that they are going to be announcing in the not-too-distant future five major factories in the United States between increasing and new five. You'll be hearing about that very soon. And I said, thank you very much. And he said, you know what? It's starting to happen in the United States. It's starting to happen. So I just wanted to let you know that. I promised I wouldn't say who. I'll keep my word, okay? Unless you force me. Members of both parties, it happens to be in the automobile industry. That's a good industry. Members of both parties should agree that we need a tax code that keeps jobs in our country and brings jobs back to our country. And for the millions of small businesses and farms that file their taxes as sole proprietors, S corporations or partnerships, we will cap the tax rate they pay at 25%, much lower. Big difference. This will be the lowest top marginal income tax rate for small and mid-sized businesses in this country in more than 80 years. To give businesses even more reason to boost their investment in America, for the next five years, our framework will allow to fully write off, listen to this, the cost of equipment in the year they buy it. That is big. And that's instead of having to take deductions 
and deduct the cost over a long period of time. Now, that's called incentive. That's called incentive. This will be tremendously important to help American businesses afford the heavy industrial machinery and other capital investments they need to grow big and grow strong. Joining us today is John Gannon, the owner of a custom wood fencing and deck construction company in Indianapolis. John is the father of nine children and recently celebrated his 35th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, John. And John is in the fencing company, as you heard, and I'm just thinking, I have to mention this, you know, we have a fence around the White House. We have a fence around the White House, and they want to build a new fence. And I figured, you know, I'm pretty good at construction. I figured, I don't know, maybe a million, maybe a million and a half. And this has been taking place over a long period of time, previous administrations. So I said, how much is the fence you're talking around the White House? Sir, the fence will cost approximately $50 million. I said, what? I kid you not. And we have thousands of things like that, thousands. We're going to get it all down. But we think of that, $50 million. Now, I assume it's a strong fence. Okay. So, John, do you think you could do it for slightly less than uh, $50 million? I think you could take 49 off right now and would have – and it had plenty of profit, right? Right, John? It's crazy. It's crazy. Never understand it, but we're working on it. John says that a tax cut, like we're proposing, will make his business more competitive, allowing him to expand, hire more workers, and raise wages for his current employees. Right, John? Also with us is Aaron Williams, a father of two who works in the field of information technology. Where's Aaron? Hello, Aaron. Hi. It's a good field. Aaron has seen the disastrous effects of high and just literally high corporate tax rates right up close and personal as more and more high-tech jobs are shipped Overseas, You've been watching it, Aaron, right? All over. Like millions of other Americans, Aaron wants to bring those jobs back to the United States. We're going to reduce the tax rate on American businesses so they can keep the jobs in America, Aaron. Create jobs in America, compete for workers in America, and raise wages right here in America. You're going to be in a much different position. Okay? Tremendous incentives. We want more products proudly stamped with those four beautiful words, made in the USA. Right? Made in the USA. Finally, our framework encourages American companies to bring back the trillions and trillions of dollars in wealth that's parked overseas. Our current tax system, trillions, 
And by the way, for years I've been hearing it's two and a half trillion. So I've been hearing this for about five years, so I assume it's much more, right? But Democrats want to do it and Republicans want to do it. For years, who doesn't want to do it? They want to bring the – but they can't do it because it's so restrictive and the taxes are so ridiculous, so they can't do it. So the money stays in other countries and it's invested in other countries. We want to bring it back. But think of it. It's one of the few things Democrats want it and Republicans want it. So they both want it, and yet for years they haven't been able to do it. Now we're doing it. We're doing things. You know, it's one thing when we want a health care and they want a health care and there's a dispute, but here's something everybody wants and they can't do it. So you can tell you that there's a broken system in D.C., but we're getting it fixed rather, I think, rather rapidly. You'll be seeing that over the next few months. Our current tax system makes us one of the few developed nations in the world to punish our companies when they bring wealth earned overseas back into our country. We're punishing them for bringing the money back in. As a result, corporations have parked many trillions of dollars in foreign countries, and many have incorporated abroad in order to avoid our punitive tax system altogether. And some companies actually leave our country because they have so much money overseas, so much, it's an incredible amount, that they move the company to get their money. We're going to let them bring the money back home. Our framework will stop punishing companies for keeping their headquarters in the United States. We're punishing companies under our codes for being in the United States. We will impose a one-time low tax on returning money that is already offshore so that it can be brought back home to America where it belongs and where it can be put to work and work and work. The framework I've just described represents a once-in-a-generation opportunity to reduce taxes, rebuild our economy, and restore America's competitive edge, finally. And I have to say, just before coming here, we released some of the details of the tax and the tax reform and the tax cuts, and it has really received tremendous, tremendous reviews. And if Senator Donnelly doesn't uh, approve it, because, you know, he's on the other side, we will come here, we will campaign against him like you wouldn't believe I think they're going to approve it. I think we'll have, actually, I think we'll have numerous Democrats come across because it's the right thing to do. These reforms will be a dramatic change from a failed tax system that encourages American businesses to ship jobs to foreign countries that have much lower tax rates. That's what we can't do. 
competitors have much lower tax rates, but no longer. My administration strongly rejects this offshoring model, and we have embraced the new model. It's called the American model. Under the American model, we are reducing burdens on our businesses as long as they do business in our country. That's what we want. We want them to do business in our country, not to leave our country like a number of firms from Indiana. Some made some great promises to me, but those promises are only being partially kept because they're incentivized to leave, but now they're going to be incentivized to stay. And if that doesn't work, then we'll get even tougher than that, okay? We want our companies to hire and grow in America and to raise wages for American workers and to help rebuild American cities and towns. That is how we will all succeed together and grow together as one team, one people, and one American family. We want it to happen here. Tax reform has not historically been a partisan issue, and it does not have to be a partisan issue today. I really believe we're going to have numerous Democrats. We'll return with more of Nation Talk after this. It's your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Jamie Lee Curtis here for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. What should you do to stop a friend from driving if they've been drinking? Answer, whatever it takes. Think before you drink. Designate before you celebrate. Choose a designated driver. Remember, friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Sessions, and its sponsors. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Live on Talk Show and Jam Radio.
back to the second hour of Nation Talk. You just heard the president's uh, speech in, in Annapolis, Indiana, on his on this tax form plan. Let's hear the arguments of this tax plan on your stock and not, not for the list. For ABC News. The President's top economic advisor now, Gary Cohen, joins us this morning. Mr. Cohen, thank you for joining us. Morning. Let's talk taxes right now. I think everybody at home wants to know what this is going to mean for them. So, can you tell middle-class families watching right now, say a family of four earning fifty-five thousand dollars, how much they will save under the president's plan? George, thank you very much for having me. First, let, let me extend our uh, you know, our, our sympathies to uh, all those families in Puerto Rico in, in having to deal with what they're dealing with. But our tax plan is purely aimed at middle-class families. A typical family of four earning $55,000 in America today is going to have a substantial tax decrease. That family can expect something in the, in the neighborhood of $650,000 to $1,000 tax decrease. Every tax situation is different. It depends what state you live in. But we are really solving for the middle class. Everything we have done in this tax plan is to solve for the middle class. Well, yeah, but I want to you say that $650,000. I wonder how you get that number is because your plan doesn't show where the tax brackets would begin, doesn't say how big the child tax credit would be. In fact, here in the state of New York, the top tax official here in the city of New York says that nearly half of the middle class families earning between fifty dollars and $75,000 are actually going to get an increase here in New York City if you eliminate the deduction of state and local taxes. Well, George, if you look at the reality of the country as a whole, less than 20, less than uh, 25% of the families in America itemized. So we're solving for the country as a whole. So the only the people that itemize today, which are less than 25% of the families in America today, itemize. They're the only ones that are actually taking the deduction for their state and, and local taxes. We're solving for the greater good of the country. But what you have to look at is you have to look at. Entirety. You have to look at this plan in entirety. We've doubled the amount of income that people keep at the zero tax rate. That's a substantial thing. We've then lowered the, the 15% tax rate to 12%. So when you look at the first couple tax rates and how much money you can keep at zero and at 12, we've done a substantial thing for American citizens. Then, then we're increasing the child care credit. So people are going to get a much larger credit. And remember, that credit is, is deducted directly from your tax Right, but you're not saying by how much you're going to incre increase it. By, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, you can't guarantee that no middle-class family will get a tax increase. There are middle-class families who get a tax increase under your plan, correct? George, there's an exception to every rule. So that's a yes. 
But look, I can't guarantee anything. You can always find a unique family somewhere. What our job here and what we've been working on in the White House is to create an economic stimulus package by using taxes to drive the economy of the United States. That's what the president has ordered to do, and that's what we're doing. The president has also said that wealthy will not get a tax cut under the plan. He says that he himself will not get a tax cut under the plan, or his family won't get one. He said that you won't get one as well. But look at the front page of USA Today right now. It says that Trump could reap millions from his own tax plan. If you look at the fact that you're eliminating the estate tax, eliminating the alternative minimum tax, cutting the top rate, cutting capital gains, cutting the uh, tax on pastor income, that means millions of dollars for the president of the United States. George, look, you've got to look at the, at the planet this entire, you know, on one hand, you're talking about people that, that are raising their taxes because on the other hand, you're talking about wealthy getting a tax cut because, because of the standard deduction. Well, when we eliminate the standard deduction for the wealthy, someone in New York, you're talking about, we're eliminating that standard deduction for someone in New York and the wealthy. That costs them 5%. So even if we lower this, the tax in the, on, on federal taxes from 39.6 to 35, and then you take back the 5% that you lose, you lose from the elimination of the deduction, you're well over 40% of an effective tax rate on your federal taxes in New York. That does not sound like a tax cut to me. That's before the real estate tax component of this. Well, so you've got to look at the plan. I, I, I am looking at the we plan, also Remember, we also put a, a, the ability for Congress to put a fourth tax rate in place, a fourth tax rate on wealthy Americans, very high earners. If we need to take more money from high earners and transfer it to middle-class Americans to make sure that middle-class Americans are getting a tax cut, we've given Congress the ability to do that. I was talking about the elimination of the estate tax, the elimination of the alternative minimum tax, the top rate and the capital gains tax. All that means millions of dollars in tax cuts for President Trump. He says, believe me, I won't be getting a tax cut. Can you guarantee that President Trump won't get a tax cut under this plan? No. George, when we've looked at the tax plan and we look what it does for Americans, we are very confident that Americans are getting a great deal here. We have also said that wealthy Americans are not getting a tax cut. We have designed a tax plan that is stimulant for the economy where we are giving tax cuts to middle and lower income Americans. We want everyday hardworking Americans to have more money in their paycheck. Your audience watching TV now, getting ready to go off to work, we want to find a way to put more money back in their paycheck. Will the wealthy get a tax cut or not? The wealthy are not getting a tax cut under our plan. Yeah, right. To go get one big fat tax plan. Yeah, right. The wealthy is going really going to benefit off this one. Guarantee you. Right. What's going on with Trump mouthing off like he does all the time? about the NFL. I really don't believe, I mean, I really can't believe that this president wants to would like to see those NFL players fired just because they kneel 
do the national anthem. As I said before, and I say it again, this is a choice. This is a individual. It's a choice for that individual if he wants to sit or stand doing the national anthem. Really, is a personal thing. I, if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. That's how I feel about it. Uh, I think it's, it's the choice of that person of of how he does it, and. That's all. That's all I can say, basically. But number forty-five has another uh, notion, the outburst. Yeah, he he he's he's put he's really using Twitter to it to his advantage by making his comments known by Twitter. And Also tonight we're going we're going to uh, look at um, going to uh, listen to another commentary from Roland Martin from TV One as well. Now, as soon as this comes up, we're talk about Trump versus the NFL. Fox NFL Sunday responds to President Trump's comment on NFL protests. Here it is.
please pardon <laughs> please pardon we we're having some difficult some difficulties technically. Okay, we'll go back we'll come back to that one. Kurt Warner's Trump comments are contradictory to what the flag means. This is what Kurt Warner had to say. We'll get back to the Fox um NFL we'll get back we'll get back to that one. Obviously unique circumstances surrounding here in 2017, Marshall Falk. I want to give you the floor first on your thoughts about all this. Rich, you know we um, we we. It, it's always said whenever you're talking sports, we what you don't mix it with politics, and, and and we try to stay away from that. But you know politics it's, it's made its way into our game, and um, and it's to the forefront. I mean at the highest power, and and right now um, there there's not anything good that I can say that would shine a light on this um, to help in a situation. And um, and I find myself uh, kind of perplexed by that situation because normally I have something to say that could right the situation and make it make it better. I just believe that it's sad that, uh, that our president lacks the more compass on things to say and things to talk about. Um, when we have so much going on in our country, uh, you want to attack people for expressing themselves and their freedom in this country, and, and you say things um, like suggesting what an owner should do to a player uh, for for just just exercising his right to to, to protest peacefully. Um, I, I really do not know where where to go with this and where we are going and why um, this is where it is right now. Um, we uh, I mean we we find a way to. To be one, um, not just on this show, but in this country, um, we put a lot of differences aside to make sure that that we can um, we can live together and and and, uh, and enjoy this great country. And time and time again, divisive things are being said by by our leader, the leader of the free world. Um, and it's it's taken us down the path that. And, and let's be honest, we we are unsure. We don't know. We don't know where this is. This is leading us. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I thought about it yesterday. You know, we're sitting in meeting rooms, and, and it comes to this. You know, I'm thinking, wow, we in the meetings when in off seasons, I show up at church every Sunday. I get energy and motivation and inspiration from it. Our meetings are like that every Saturday, and it's a diverse group, and we have the greatest times. But yesterday, I looked around. And we were all in a whole different place. We were in a whole different place, that whole media room. And I thought about this must be happening all over the country. When you see our leader, our leader make the comments that be made. Think about this now. And, and I put it up against Charlottesville. And I thought to myself, wow, you did not come out with further and strongly, strongly denounce what you saw in Charlottesville. But you come out with further and strongly denounce African-American players exercising their First Amendment right in all players and then owners for not firing the 
these guys on the spot calling them SOBs. It, it was it was it, it was just all it was all around just a sad sad day for all of us, and it perpetuated into the next day into the next day, and 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 it really is it's hurtful, it's divisive, and, and it's sad. This is the flag represents to me it's a, it's a symbol of the ideals of our great country. You know, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The anthem, it's a reminder to us of those things. The President of the United States, his role is to uphold and, and to fight for the rights of every person, right, every, every American. And so when I heard the comments, I, I was so disappointed because I believe the comments are completely contradictory to what the flag represents. And, and we have this narrative that these protests are... Uh, contradictory to the flag, and they're contradictory to our military. I don't see them that way. I see them as complementary to what we're trying, to the ideals of the flag, to the military and what they fought for, the servicemen and women and what they fought for. I have not heard one player that has not been more than grateful to our military. This isn't about that at all. It's about standing up for the ideals of the flag. And, you know, I contemplated, as you did, you know, in a meeting room when I went back to my hotel room, and, and I contemplated, is it more honorable to stand and face the flag when you don't represent the ideals of what the flag represents, or is it more honorable to kneel in protest in an attempt to try to accomplish what the flag was designed to represent? And, you know, when I heard those comments, I was just, so disappointed because it was contradictory, and we put this narrative out there that I believe is wrong when we look at these players and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to represent. Um, so I think we all were. I stayed in that room yesterday in that meeting, and we talked about it for an hour, an hour and a half yesterday, and I couldn't get it out of my mind because what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish, not just as players but as a country, um, uh, yeah, I just couldn't be more disappointed in those comments. Well, and also yeah. in what the president said, this was at a political rally on Friday night in support of his uh, candidate uh, for the runoff election for the GOP in Alabama in the Senate. Um, the, the president also uh, denigrated the NFL's player safety rule. Top economic advisor now, Gary Cohen, joins us this morning. Mr. Cohen, thank you for joining us this morning. Some of the hits that he's seeing that are getting flagged is, uh, and um, an indication that the game is getting softer and criticized. That, Steve, I know you are on the Player Safety Commission uh, with John Madden that the commissioner has put together, and I'm wondering what you thought about those statements. Yeah, not only did it criticize the oneself individually, he, he really criticized our game. That was so 
so proud of. And, yes, I'm on the player safety advisory panel with John Madden, Ronnie Lott, Anthony Munoz, Willie Lanier, Mark Murphy, Oliver Lott, and many others um, that love the sport. And when you, when you hear folks about, you know, hit too hard, 15-yard throw them out of the game, you're ruining the game, you're hurting the game, and it kind of hits home too. Um, we're not ruining the game. Player safety advisory panel trying to make things safer. Trying to make it safer for the players in the National Football League, college players, high school players, youth football players, and we're trying to convince moms that it, it, this is a safe sport to play because we care about the players. And it's we're not ruining the game. We're making it safer. So, um, uh, you know, we just we, I was just taken back. I get a little defensive when you start talking about criticizing how this game is played. It's the greatest, in my mind, the greatest ultimate team sport that we have, and we're trying to make it safe, and that's a good thing. Well, I guess to uh, wrap it up, I just want to say one thing, because I know that the president has been known to watch television, to monitor uh, the way things that are going on in the country and statements that he said, how it's playing out in the media, and should that be the case that he's chosen on this day where politics and sports are, are mixed together, he's chosen this show, we are the first on the air, um, I just wanted to say this in case the President of the United States is out there, that offensive speech should not be tolerated in this country, and offensive behavior that tears down the fabric of this country, like we saw in Charlottesville, should be called out. What is going on on the field in the National Football League while the National Anthem being played is not that. It's not that. And what it is are people who are not trying to offend when they are taking a knee or sitting down during the national anthem. What they are are, are people who are offended by their American experience, their American experience that perhaps you Mr. President, or many of us have not experienced personally. And this is a moment when they are taking a knee and when they are sitting down, they are doing so to spark a dialogue, which is the most democratic thing that could be done in this country. That is why an American flag, literally the size of a football field, can be unfurled on a football field during the national anthem, as we saw on Thursday Night Football in Santa Clara. That is why that can be unfurled, and many of us can stand. I, I'm one of those who stand, and some can sit and take a knee. And that is something to which... I may not relate, but is it something that I can see and try and understand and listen to have the conversation? That is what you said, Kurt, liberty and justice for all. That is what the democracy is about, an American experience that's better for all, governing for all. That is what this is about, and today hopefully will turn out to be a day of unity in the National Football League and 
through the sports world. That actually is the first time I actually heard um, sports guys talk passionately about football and politics. And those guys are good uh, at game day. Bless you guys. I hear you. To the guys in the NFL, don't let don't let this discourage you. I believe that what you're doing is what is as I said, it's your choice to do. And I'm not going to I'm not I am not hard on them at all. I I'm not. And I'm not gonna be hard on these players who took who take a knee or sit. I'm not gonna be hard on them. Because as I said, it's the individual's choice. Period. It's that particular person's choice to protest peacefully. Peacefully. Now, just comes right into it, rolling to our segment of about uh, our segment of Roland Martin um, speaks. Trump clashes with NFL players, teams, owners, and players respond with statement and more protests. Here he is. From TV One News Now, this is Roland Martin. See one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag. Did they get that son of a off the field right now? Out, he's fired. Those comments by Donald Trump Friday night at a rally in Alabama uh, is what caused this weekend's massive protest that took place all across the NFL. And, of course, he went after NFL players, including former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, the decision to decline to stand in the national anthem protesting racial injustice uh, as well as police brutality. Well, what took place, the NFL had no choice but to respond, and that's exactly what happened. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell released this following statement. He said, quote, the NFL and our players are at our best when we create a community in our country and our culture. There's no better example than the amazing responses from our clubs and players to the terrible natural disasters we've experienced over the last month. He went, of course, talk about divisive comments like these, demonstrating an unfortunate lack of respect for the NFL, our great game, and all of our players, and the failure to understand the overwhelming force for good our clubs and players represent in our communities. Also, the National Football Players Association weighed in. Executive Director Damaris Smith said this, this union will never back down when it comes to protecting the constitutional rights of our players and citizens, as well as their safety as men who compete in a game that exposes them to great risk. Yesterday, NFL players all across the country, even at the game in London, responded with displays of unity. Many of them took a knee. Others sat down. 
others linked on locked arms with coaches and even some team owners. Speaking of team owners, a number of them also released comments blasting Donald Trump. Twenty-nine of the 32 clubs actually spoke out. In Seattle, the Tennessee Titans, the Seattle Seahawks, none of the players came out for the national anthem. The exact same thing happened for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All but one player, uh, of course, an offensive lineman uh, who, who, who came out, uh, he, of course, served, at, served in the U.S. Army. He's an Army veteran. He's the only player uh, to stand for the national anthem. Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin spoke to reporters about the team's decision. We decided to sit it out, uh, to not take the field, um, to, to move ourselves from it, to focus on playing football. Now, as I said, uh, of 29, 29 of the NFL's 32 teams issued statements either directly or addressing Trump's or expressing support for the players and the work that they do in the community. Uh, I read a number of those particular statements, and I can tell you right now, uh, out of all of those, uh, what was absolute weak was from uh, the Washington Redskins, Dan Snyder, uh, who linked arms with his players last night uh, when they played uh, on NBC. He released a statement, make no mention of Trump. Keep in mind, he was one of the seven NFL owners who gave a million dollars to Trump's inauguration. That's actually what happened there. Now, okay, uh, now there were only three teams that did not issue a particular statement. Only three teams did not speak on the issue. The Dallas Cowboys, the Carolina Panthers, and the New York Jets. The New York Jets, of course, their owner, Woody Johnson, was named an ambassador by Donald Trump. But shame on Jim Richardson, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, who said nothing. In fact, the Carolina Panthers players were oblivious to all of this. Not only did none of them take a knee or sit down, they didn't even link arms. They were pretty much like, what the hell? <laughs> and, of course, uh, how pathetic the Dallas Cowboys simply affirming why I can't stand that despicable team. But Jerry Jones has said nothing. Yeah, he was one of the seven who gave a million dollars. Now, this was, of course, a huge story all across the country. Yesterday I was on MSNBC with Alex Witt before uh, everything took place and also we were on the air when the game started in London. We talked about this controversy. And if the NFL offer, they're the ones which are calling Kaepernick uh, from being back to the league. But remember, this is not just about Colin Kaepernick. The focus is not, well, why won't they employ him? We know why. When you see Jeff Lurie, the Eagles owner, say that his protest wasn't respectful, which is hilarious because black folks have heard whites in America say protest has not been respectful for the last 98 years since the first 20-odd Africans arrived uh, in uh, Virginia in 1619. Protest is never respectful. In fact, the nation was founded uh, out of a sense of protest, out of dissent, that the reason the First Amendment is the first. What you have here, though, is you have owners, you have a league, you have a nation that does not want to address why Colin Kaepernick protested. Shortly after he, he took a knee, remember, he was sitting down and he took a knee. He was talking about police brutality in America. Folks then said, well, why it should, should it be about the flag or the national anthem? America never wants to address the prime issue. It, it wants to deflect to something else. What Donald Trump has done is forced NFL owners to say something when they wanted to remain silent. Now the Giants owners have talked. Now Steve Ross uh, of, the, uh, of the Miami Dolphins has talked. Our 
Perfect. Folks, let's break this thing down. Joining us from Owings Mill, Maryland, former NFL player Eugene Monroe, also in studio, Jason Reed, senior NFL writer for the Undefeated, my panel. Uh, Eugene, third Republican strategist, CEO at Eugene Craig Organization, Law Victoria Burke, political analyst and writer at NBC Black, Faraji Muhammad, host of Listen Up, WEAA 88.9 FM in Baltimore. Eugene, I'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts uh, on your uh, former uh, comrades at NFL yesterday uh, standing up, some sitting down, some taking a knee, making it clear they were disgusted with Donald Trump's comments, but also the issues are also front and center. Well, you know, I, I was glad to, to see, uh, you know, uh, that they did take issue with what's going on. But, yeah, what I really saw was a league full of men who are really conflicted, um, you know, not really understanding how they should, you know, voice their anger. And really that's the core of the issue going on here, right? Everyone's upset about the methods by which people protest. And, and you see men understanding that the NFL is a very delicate space to operate in and really, you know, trying to protest without roughness brothers. Well, you can't do that. And, um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't call it solidarity. You know, I, I would I would actually say this is an issue that you feel that strongly about. You know, you need to stick your chest out a little bit more um, and, and, and do something more assertive. Uh, i got to ask you this here. One of the players, who, the former players, who was quite critical of Colin Kaepernick for his decision uh, was Ray Lewis. Yesterday uh, in London, uh, we saw him on the field taking a knee. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know whether he had a Damascus Road experience, uh, but, I, I mean, as, as, a, as a former uh, teammate of his, I, I would like to get your thoughts on that uh, because this was what I call a put-up or shut-up for a lot of people. Well, you know, I, I, I actually did play with Ray. I played against him, but I, I was one year removed from that Super Bowl team. Um, but, you know, I, you know, his comments and his actions don't match up, and really I've, I've heard enough from him, so we can move on from that. Well, i got to ask you this also. Donald Trump also, and this is a piece that I, the point I made on MSNBC, Donald Trump also attacked NFL when it came to injuries. Uh, publicated concussions and CTE. You've been an advocate uh, about marijuana products allowing it to be legal to deal with the pain. And so I said this to, to the white players, look, if you don't want to take a knee or criticize Donald Trump about his comments uh, dealing with uh, police brutality and that, at least say something because he was attacking you, saying you're wimps when it comes to injuries. You know, that. But, but that's no different than anything else that 45 has done, and it's reflective in his lack of compassion for, for many issues, particularly for minorities, and, and really with, with his comments over the weekend, uh, his, his uh, you know, his just inherent in disgust for women as well, you know, speaking out about a player's mother in that fashion too, uh, you know, it's just disgusting and unacceptable. Jason Reed, when you look at what took place on yesterday, uh, it, it's uh, the campaign. Trump was the greatest organizer for Latinos uh, in terms of his attacks on them, uh, and he probably is the greatest organizer of these NFL players because a lot of them, you talk to them, sit on the fence, 
Some want no part of this, uh, didn't want to put their necks out. Yesterday they were forced to do something. Oh, absolutely. And, and Roland, here's the thing. Uh, you know, based on my reporting, talking to a lot of these guys uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, reaching out to people in the front office, what the president did was he galvanized support for this movement. Wherever this movement ultimately is going to go, there, there was, a, there was a, a seat change that occurred Friday night into Saturday morning. Because what happened was people who were on the fence, guys who were like, well, maybe this really doesn't affect me. Maybe this isn't something I want to participate in because I'm concerned about my own situation. What happened was those people, many of them said, okay, I can't be on the fence now. This crosses the line. And based on my reporting, I can tell you that there were several players in meetings that occurred on Saturday who said, We've got to do something, which is why you saw the, the, the protest movement balloon yesterday. Now, I don't know where we're going to be two weeks from now, three months from now, a year from now, but clearly the president's words, based on my reporting, galvanized support for this movement. Uh, Lauren, I want to go to you first. Uh, again, the moment those comments were made Friday night, uh, I was actually moder- uh, emceeing an event of the Michigan delegation during CBC. I immediately texted. Uh, two NFL players, uh, one a free agent, uh, one who's actually playing. And my response back was WTF. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, because the president turned this into, was, of course, a conversation about Colin Kaepernick and his behavior and him not getting signed and, of course, police brutality. And it turned into Donald Trump saying something stupid again and asserting himself for no reason into something that has absolutely nothing to do with him. While we play around with nuclear devices and health care and all this other stuff that he should be focused on. So basically what he did was he galvanized the NFL in an extraordinary way against him because he's, he's a divisive character and almost obviously a transcends politics. When you see Rex Bryan and Terry Bradshaw, I would never in my life back imagine right, Robert yeah. Kraft. I mean, these are supporters of the president coming out against him because it's easy and it's obvious. And, of course, they're not talking Got about it. the police brutality piece, no. but they're coming out against the president. Real quick, Eugene, final comments from me before I let you go. You know, I I saw these comments and just thought, like, this is the president. What is he focused on? You know, he's sitting here bickering uh, with athletes, and we've got problems all around the world. We've got some problems with one of our territories in the Caribbean and turmoil. Uh, he should redirect his focus uh, and, and really do his job. All right, then, Eugene, Eugene Monroe, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. He was talking to you, to former NFL um, Eugene. We talk about the former NFL players um, and his thoughts on the game. Oh, uh, we're actually on Donald Trump. And the NFL. When we return, we say happy birthday to our 39th president and a hell farewell to Hugh Hefner and Monty Hall. This is Nation Talk. They call, send letters, email, and visit your home. They're not friends or family. 
They're con artists, scammers, and criminals. In times like these, it's important to learn how to protect yourself. Credit card schemes, bogus investment opportunities, and free vacation scams are just a few ways that today's criminals target you and your family. Protect yourself. Never give anyone your social security number, credit card, or bank account information unless you initiated the call. Stay informed of current scams by contacting your Attorney General's office and Better Business Bureau. If you're a victim, reporting the con to the local authorities will prevent others from suffering the same fate. To learn more about how to keep your family safe from con artists and scams, visit ncpc.org. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Energy efficiency interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well... I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. The views of Pizza Nation Talk are unnecessary views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Welcome back to our second hour of Nation Talk. Well, our third night president celebrated is celebrating his 93rd birthday, making this president, I believe, the second oldest living president of of this time right now. And uh, from uh, News 4 Jacks in Jacksonville, uh, former president celebrates 93rd birthday by teaching. Jimmy Carr leads Sunday school at Hometown Church on his birthday. Former president Jimmy Carter begins, be, began his 93rd birthday doing what he does many Sundays, teaching a Sunday school class at his church in Plains, in Plains, Georgia. The very nice president and Nobel Prize winner attends Maranatha Baptist with his wife, Rosalind, in his farming community, in this farming community, about 50 miles east of Columbus. Carter, the only Georgian to be elected president, advanced for being a being a virtual unknown, to the nation stage 
to defeat President Gerald Ford in 1976, but several foreign policy crises, in particular the Iran hostage crisis, crushed his bid for re-election, and Ronald Reagan swept into the White House. Carter served only served one term in the White House, but went on to become a prolific humanitarian after leaving office in 1981. He continues to champion causes of democracy and health and health internationally. And he's a very good author as well. He had some very humble roots. James Earl Carter, Jr. joined the U.S. Navy, became an officer in the submarine, submarine force, and worked to the nu- work on the nuclear propulsion system for Sea Wolf submarines. In 1953, he left. He left the Navy and returned home, his home state, Georgia, and worked as a peanut farmer. He ran for a seat in the Georgia State House in 1962 and served until 1967. In 1970, he was elected governor of Georgia. Despite, despite being little known outside of Georgia, when he became he began his presidential campaign. Carter won 1976 Democrat nomination in the general in the general election. Carter defeated incumbent Republican President Joe Ford in a close election. Carter rebuilt his career. As a humanitarian, um, guiding the center force focus on global issues, Carter earned a Nobel Peace Prize in 2002. Helped defuse nuclear tensions in the Korea in the Koreas and helped avert a U.S. invasion in Haiti. He and Rosen still make regular appearances at events in Atlanta and travel overseas but maintain their primary home in Plains. The former president said, no matter, said, quote, no matter where we are in the world, we are always looking forward to get getting home to Plains. End of quote. He and his wife thought for many years about cutting back their work at the Carter Center, which which he established in 1982 to promote health care and democracy. Uh, he said, quote, we thought about it, we thought about this when, when I was 80. We thought about it again when he was 85. We thought about it again when he was 90. So it's a so it's a proportionist time, time, I think, for us to carry out our long-delayed plans. <laughs> uh, of course, as you know, 
April 2015, the president announced he had a, that, that doctors have found cancer on four small parts on his brain and what eventually began radiation treatment. He appeared upbeat, speaking to reporters, saying he was at ease with whatever comes. Says, continued said, I had a wonderful life. Who, who was 90 at the time? It's in God's hands, and I'll be prepared at anything that comes. But four months later, Carter said that he had responded well to surgery. Radiation and his body had no evidence of any cancer. Carter received a new method of treatment called immunotherapy, which utilizes his immune system to target cancer, cancerous tumor, and rid his body of any evidence of cancer. He said, quote, in a CNN um Interview with Dr. Sanjay Gupta in, a, in this earlier this year. The radiation treatment of my brain came first. The actual physical removal of a, of a big part of my liver was effective. I'll say the new medicine medication has been the key to success, perhaps. Carter's Father, brother, and sister died of pancreatic cancer. His mother also died had had the disease. Carter, who had been tested for pancreatic cancer, said no cancer has been found so far. Uh, what what the former president has, he said, is melonia and expect. Say his lifelong activities may have increased his risk to skin cancer. He lives in the South. It's fair skin and frank. He in the South. He is a fair skin and freckled. And through Habitat for Humanity, he travel and travel has spent a lot of time outdoors, noted Dr. Anna Pavlik, co-director of the Melonia program at YNU's Laurie and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. As you know, he, he spent a... Uh, great deal overseas uh, of a, a grin on his face twinkle in his eye and pep in his step the 92 year old former president sat down with CNN to explain his he was 92 at the time his his uh, erratic warm warm disease infections 
said, well, I still hope that I'll be able to survive the last case of of your gill here worm earlier this year. For decades, the Carter Center has worked with ministries of health and nations around the world to track the number of cases of neglected topical diseases and to help stop the spread of each of such diseases by providing health education and programs. The Carter Center this center has provided technical and financial assistance to, Nas- to National Guinea Guinea Worm Eradication Program to stop the actual transmission of the disease. In 2016, the latest year for which data are available, there are only 25 reported human causes of disease in three countries, Chad, Ethiopia, and South Sudan. He has been a champion of, his wife has been a champion of, of, um, has been a champion in this. And again, happy birthday to, to, to former President Carter. Wishing him many, many, many more and I, I pray that he lives, that he will live his live a long time and beyond. He's very wise beyond his years. Very wise young man. All right, as y'all know, the man responsible for. Famous and sometimes infamous famous and sometimes infamous Playboy magazine has passed away this week. This is one of two of our hell and farewells. Okay, they won't give me that one. Okay, let's try another one. We, we're, we're slowly but surely getting close to our time here. We have nine minutes, nine more minutes of of this.
call it new morality. I really think that's what the American, you know, this this, this kind of thing. Success. What did one have to do to become the biggest and best person in the world, to climb the corporate ladder or rough it out on your own to make your own image. It is a hard place, this world we live in, where one can easily become trapped without vision, focus, and maybe some luck and faith. Today, here on FTD Facts, we are talking about a man who overcame his own adversity and became a household name creating the magazine we know as Playboy. And no matter how you feel about this man and his work, he has done it his way. Hugh Hefner, the ladies' man, the man who beat the system and became the biggest player in the entire world. Welcome to FTD Facts, guys. My name is Dave Walpole, and this is FTD Facts, the channel where we talk about people, cultures, places, and things from all around the world. Now, yes, today we are looking at Hugh Hefner because he recently passed away, and we are going to go over some of the interesting points about this man. Now, before I get in this video, I want to let you guys know quickly about Grammarly.com. These guys are our sponsor. I'll let you guys know more about that at the end of the video. And on top of that, I just want to know who is your favorite Playboy model. Let me know down there in the comment section below. Me, I've always loved Carmen Electra. Whew! girls just smoking. So Hugh Hefner was born Hugh Marston Hefner on April 9th of 1926 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were Grace Caroline and Glenn Lucius Hefner, who were common folks, and as a matter of fact, teachers that came from Nebraska, and just like most, you know, successful people, he came from noble origins. And you might think that Hugh, being the way he is, was an only child. However, he did have a younger brother named Keith. Now, at a young age, Hugh attended the Steinmetz High School, but by the time the Second World War broke out, he took his literacy influence and became a writer for the U.S. military newspaper. Now, one thing that's pretty funny about Hugh Hefner is we know him as this playboy, you know, such a player, but he actually had a psychology degree. Because after the war, he attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and finished in 1949 with a Bachelor Arts degree. Now, within that same year, he married his first wife, Mildred Millie Williams, whom they both raised two kids together. His first, Christy, who was born in 1952, and the second son, David, who was born after Playboy came around. So when did Playboy come around? Well, in the early 50s, he was working for the magazine known as Esquire. And around 1952, he asked for a raise, however, he was denied, in which he began thinking of his own magazine. And this guy's nuts because he put his own money in it, took a bank loan out, and even raised $8,000 to get this magazine started. And it's crazy, even his mom actually gave him $1,000 to start the magazine, not because she really, you know, felt that this was great material that she believed in, but she more or less believed in her son and believed that he would be successful. Now, the original idea for his Gentleman's Magazine was going to have the name Stag Party. However, another magazine named Stag warned him that if he used that name, they would file a lawsuit. Thus, he came with a different name. Other names were Top Hat, Sir, Gentleman, and Satire, but it was his business partner and friend Eldon Sellers that suggested the name Playboy. And by October 1st of 1953, he had founded the company. All right. That's a little bit of about Hugh Hefner, who passed away this week. 
All right. And another celebrity who was a staple of television, Monty Hall, passed away this week at the age of 96. News this weekend in the world of broadcasting. Game show host Monty Hall died yesterday of heart failure. He was 96. Hall was the co-creator and host of the popular Let's Make a Deal. CBS Sports' Roxana Tiberi looks back at his life and legacy. Monty Hall gave away cars, cash, and other prizes as America's original deal maker. You have to love your audience. You have children that love. He hosted the hit game show, Let's Make a Deal, for 20 years, and often left contestants guessing whether they support a pricey prize or useless clunkers. Hall helped make those gags, or zonks as he called them, people of the show. He was born in Canada in 1921 as Monty Halperin, but while working as a disc jockey in the 1940s, his bosses pushed him to change his name. About a decade later, Hall crossed the border to New York, where radio and hosted children's shows. But it was the 1963 debut of Let's Make a Deal that launched Hall's tenure as one of America's enduring game show hosts. We were thrown into a time period that was a loser. And the network said, well, if you want it, you can have it. But no show succeeded in this time period, and we said, we'll take it. And, of course, the rest is history. He was also the show's co-creator. Let's Make a Deal went on for decades, bouncing between networks. The show returned to daytime TV in 2009 on CBS with Wayne Brady as host. Ladies and gentlemen, Monty Hall. But Hall was hired as a consultant and occasionally made guest appearances. He also developed and produced several other game shows and received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2013 Daytime Emmys. Also volunteered with several charities and hosted an annual tennis tournament to benefit a diabetes center in Los Angeles. He once said philanthropy was one of the more important aspects of his life, but it likely be remembered most as a man who always knew how to make a deal. If a woman is going for a car and she loses it and still kisses you, you did something right. Roxana Saberi for CBS News. Monty Hall's wife died in June. Hall had three children. He was 96. News this weekend in the world of broadcasting. Game show host Monty Hall died yet. But that's going to do it for yours truly. Don't forget tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., morning inspirations, which is ready 2.1 returns. God bless you. Have a wonderful and blessed week. Thank you for listening to your Sunday Eating Forum. This has been Nation Talk, public affairs and news program that airs Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is your Sunday evening form, Nation Talk.
our national anthem. 